so uh, I'm just going to read a scripture first of all. How about just before we do that, let's, now the lights are up and you can see who you're sitting next to. We just shared communion together. Let's just say a quick hello to the people on either side of you. Now we can see your beautiful faces. Hello. So Romans 8, I'm going to read from Romans 8. Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Doesn't that just come straight from what Lolly was saying about the value that we have, the God, that God places on us, that he, it wasn't cheap, it cost Jesus' life, and now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. If you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Can we get a woohoo? I'll make a different noise next time. That was a weird one, I know. Can we get an amen? Amen. Now we're getting Pentecostal. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Come on. So the life-giving Spirit frees us from the power of sin, which leads to death. You know, there is a, uh, if you've heard of Netflix, it gives you a bunch of TV shows for a certain amount of dollars each month. There's a TV show on Netflix at the moment, I think it's called Come Sunday, and it's, it seems to be a Christian show, hero, making a hero out of this pastor who's talking about the love of God. But it actually displays a heresy, what the church throughout all ages believes is not really the true gospel, definitely not the true gospel about Jesus. Um, it's called universalism. So what it is, is this pastor goes on this journey of having this beautiful revelation about Uh, the love of God, the power of the love of God, which is offered to all people. And he comes to the conclusion, which Christians don't believe, the church doesn't believe, that that just, um, you know, because of God's great love, freedom and forgiveness and, and heaven, everything eternally is just given to everyone, regardless of whether you believe in Jesus. So that's called universalism. It actually has already come up in the church. It's not brand new. Um, It was Uh, challenged by the church, confronted by the church, and around the year 100 and 200, this guy called Origen, or Oregon, I'm not how to say it in Greek, um, he came up with this idea and he said, God's love is so great, it must be for everyone regardless. But this idea actually negates what Lulu was just saying about the preciousness of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It negates that. It negates there to be a need for Jesus to die on the cross. And it negates the justice of God. Because God is all loving, he is just. His love is powerful because he is just. Even just like for a a scratch the surface kind of way to disprove this, imagine Hitler, easy one to imagine, arriving in front of God. And if God were to say, I love you so much, my wonderful son, come on in. Have Have the wonders forever after. Hitler killed millions of innocent Jews. For God to just go... Oh, don't worry about that. That was just like the life thing, and now it's afterlife, and it's all good. We're, we're besties now. To an unrepentant Hitler, then what kind of love is that? It's not love at all. It doesn't display the justice of God. It doesn't display the true love of God, which is just and good and moral and all those things. So this actually is very, very attractive. Heck, it's on Netflix, for goodness sakes. It's obviously very attractive around the world, this idea, and it later becomes uh, all religions are equal. If there's any way that you want to get to God, don't worry about it because he'll just embrace it always. Um, 
it's attractive to people now and it will become more and more. You'll hear this idea more and more because it flows on from like there's no real right and there's no real wrong and there's no real judgment. No one should get judged. We should all just kind of feel love for each other or feel love for ourselves and do our own thing, uh, which is not what the Bible displays is good and just and true love um, uh, in the Bible and throughout the ages. So you'll hear that idea more and more. Because certainly the Bible says it is not God's will that any should perish. It's God's will that none should perish. Jesus died with with his very life. He died a true death to save every person. So the offer is universal. But there is a step to receive that. I could offer you all dinner, but you're not going to get a full belly unless you actually come to my house and eat it. I don't recommend it. I'm not a very good cook. I'll buy you some hot chicken or something. So something has to happen in order to, it's free to receive, but there has to be a receiving uh, in order to be able to, there has to be an accepting in order to be able to receive it. Something really significant. Think of it this way. Human beings, I have a handy picture, just in case you didn't know. (laughs) Human beings, we're, we're people of the body and a spirit. We have a spirit. In fact, Christians don't believe that we are, you heard of that saying, we're spirits with a body. We don't believe that. The body isn't just kind of a shell that God put on afterwards and one day he's going to get rid of it and we'll just zip around in heaven on the clouds with harps and stuff. That's not even our Christian hope. That that idea of heaven being on clouds and not having bodies is not really even part of the equation. That's just waiting as we're waiting now for God's full promise to come. The actual Christian hope is that we will have resurrected bodies like Jesus. The body, our body, is going to be eternal. God will remake it so that it no longer uh, experiences death and decay and aging. Thank goodness, no more aging creams needed. No more hair dye needed. Um, It's a mystery, but our Christian hope is that we will one day have a new earth and a new heaven and, and our bodies. So we're not just spirits with a bit of a body on top. We actually are body and spirit. And just the same way as if you cut off, if you disconnect a body from oxygen, you'll die. You knew that one. If we disconnect our spirit from God, sin disconnects our spirit from God, cut off from its life source God, our spirits die. And we can't live a spiritual life if our spirit is dead, just like we can't live one of these kind of lives if our body is dead. So I love my nana very much. My nana. Do you call them that in Australia? Nana? Nana. That's what we called her. (laughs) The other one was called Nana Betty. So this one was just plain old nana. Um, Nana, I loved her very much. She's passed away many years ago now, so she's died. My love for her is completely true. I haven't wavered in my love. I love her still as much, probably even more now. I've grown up and I've thought about the wisdom she's told me. I love her so much. But yet, I can't, I'm not inviting her to Christmas dinner, am I? I'm not inviting her to birthday parties. My love for her hasn't changed. I still love her in the same pure, complete way. But her ability to enter into our family celebration has changed because her body has died. And so God can love, this is the bit that, that comes Sunday in that origin and, and that how that theology is wrong, universalism, because God's love doesn't change. He loves people very, very, very much, completely, purely. He offers us salvation. He died on the cross for every person. But whether they can 
enjoy the spiritual life or not is the issue. If their spirit is dead, then they can't live a spiritual life. So you might have heard the saying, to be born again. Man, that's had some bad rap, hasn't it? Born again Christians. My husband's one of those who doesn't like born again Christians. I'm like, dude, I'm a born again Christian. He refuses to believe it. Uh, born again Christians are crazy, he thinks. Anyway, the born again, born again label, it's been bandied about, but it's actually from Jesus. Jesus said it. So John 3, 3, Jesus said, unless you are born again, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's like, unless you can breathe through gills, you can't live underwater. Unless you can exist in the vacuum of space, you can't live on the moon or Mars. Unless you are born again and your spirit comes alive, you can't live a spiritual life. It's not a question of God loving them. God loves us so much. And it's not a question about being a good person. It's a question about being alive or dead and able to enter into the celebration. So if our spirit is dead, when we're disconnected from God, then we can't enter into and enjoy and live a spiritual life, can we? That's why Jesus said you have to be born again. So how do we get to be alive in our spirits? Jesus said, John 3, 6, humans can only reproduce human life. It is the Holy Spirit who gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised, he said, when I say you must be born again. I think Nicodemus was like, <gasps> he's like, don't be surprised when I said you must be born again. You, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the Holy Spirit. So in order to know and have a relationship with God, we have to believe in Jesus and then be born again so that our spirit comes back to life. And then we live a life, as it says in Romans 8, being led by the Spirit, which is why I want to talk about the Holy Spirit today. So we're going to start off, as we sang in that song, right at the start, which is the trickiest part, the Trinity. Whew, let's go there. Sometimes I speak on the Trinity, and in my room when I'm practicing, I'm like, why would I do that? Why would I even attempt it? The Trinity is hard to speak about. Ruth spoke about it so brilliantly in that that song, we just say it. So the Trinity is a mystery, but this is what we believe as Christians, that there is one being called God, and he is made of three persons, the Father, the Son, who's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Father is completely God, the Son, Jesus, is completely God, and the Holy Spirit is a person, and he's completely God. If somebody is telling you they're from a church, and they're saying that the Holy Spirit is just the breath of God or the action of God when he waves his hands, then they're not a Christian church, even if they say they are. If someone is saying we're from a church and we're telling you that Jesus is a God or the Son of God and God the Father is just the only God, then they're not actually a Christian church. And when I say Christian church, I mean not one heart church, but the entire church throughout the ages disagrees with what they're saying. It's not what the Bible reveals, that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that Jesus, fully God, fully man, um, but not less than being fully God. And the Holy Spirit, that he's a person. He's not a power of God or the sense of the presence of God or a feeling or the breath coming out when God speaks like haze on a foggy morning or something. He's actually a person. I got a whole bunch of scriptures. I'm going to like scripture bomb you in a second with those. Um, but I just want to show you really briefly how the three-in-one God is not, like it's a mystery, it's hard, but it's not illogical. It's not unreasonable. It doesn't break any rules of logic. 
it still can make sense to us. And the reason being because personhood is different from being. So a being is something, some being that is alive, and personhood has to do with having characteristics about being an individual with personality, able to make choices, with will, um, all that sort of thing. So that's what makes a person a person. That's what makes person personhood, which is actually different from being, which we forget because we are one person and one being. So we think that's always the maths. But you know maths. <laughs> There's always an exception. So we think that uh, one person, one being, that's how it should work, and therefore God doesn't make any sense. Um, it's still within the realms of reason. It's still within the realms of logic, if you will. Um, and we can know this just in our everyday lives. If you're a good gardener, all of my garden plants are dead. But um, a plant, for instance, is a being. It's one thing that is alive, but there's zero persons there. So we can know that the maths isn't always exactly the same, one being one person. We can have a being and no personhood there. So it's still logical, still reasonable, even though it's a mystery, that we can have one being but three persons. Each of the members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, is fully God. And so here's the scripture bomb I'm telling you. I'll just leave that up for a little while. If you're listening on the podcast, um, maybe email the site and I'll, I'll email you the slide or something like that or I'll put it on the Facebook page. Um, I won't obviously read out every single one. And these aren't all of them by a long shot, but here are just some scriptures which actually show that the Holy Spirit is a person with characteristics of being an individual with a personality, with thoughts, with a will, and he is God, not just the feeling of God or something. So in the scripture, the spirit is distinguished from the father and the son. There's loads of verses where it says the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. He does divine works, so works of God, including inspiring scriptures, the Holy Spirit who inspires the scriptures. He regenerates hearts. He's called the creator. He's the sustainer and the giver of all life. He is said to be eternal, and only God is called eternal. So the Holy Spirit is eternal. Omniscient, which means he knows all things. He's actually referred to as God numerous times. The Holy Spirit is the Lord. Um, he makes choices. He helps us. John 14, 26, um, as Ruth said as well, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I'll send you a helper, another helper. So Jesus was the first helper, and he says, I'll send you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit, who he calls, in the Greek it says paraclete, which is comforter, helper, counselor, the one who was sent to support, the one who's called to come alongside. That's who Jesus said the Holy Spirit is for us. He teaches and guides us. He glorifies Jesus. He reveals Jesus. He convicts us, convinces us when we do wrong. He can be grieved. He can be made sad. He can be blasphemed against. Only God can have that happen to him. He possesses a rational mind. We can lie to him. We can resist him. So the Holy Spirit is a person and he's God. How would it be if someone came on the radio today and said, on the radio, here's the Century Radio, on the TV or whatever, on your iPhones, and said, Jesus is, is in Adelaide and he for real was. Wouldn't everyone around the world just race to Adelaide? It would just be inundated with smog from all the planes. People would just go just to touch the hem of his coat, just to hear him, just to see him from afar. People would just race there. And yet we have, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit right here now within us. We don't have to go to another city. He's right here in our spirits. If we're believers in Jesus, 
In Romans 8, it, tell, it says what, how the Holy Spirit helps us. It says he helps us in our weakness. He teaches us to pray. When we don't know how to pray, when all we've got is like groans, he actually prays through us. He prays, and he, um, prays on behalf of believers in union, in alignment with God's will. It says he joins our spirit with his spirit to affirm that we're God's children. It's the Holy Spirit within us who is a witness to that, who says you are a child of God. So the Holy Spirit, sometimes people are waiting for like to be shaken and to feel, feel lots of feelings. But when we have that sense like, I know I'm a child of God, I know that God is real, that's the Holy Spirit working powerfully through us, breaking off spiritual blindness. And it doesn't have to feel really like anything. It's just truth. He's the giver of truth. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11. We've been doing scripture, I mean, ethics study in our Bible college, and we just kept looking again and again at um, how they'd present to Jesus like a one or the other situation, a black or white situation. And Jesus comes up with these incredible answers every time that are so amazing, breaks through all the complex social structure and everything and just goes straight down the line and everyone's blown away with it. God, Jesus, even though he's God, never spoke in his own godness. He did everything in the power of the Holy Spirit, he, from his birth to his death to rising from the grave. Jesus didn't actually die and then after three days, like, get up. He waited on the Holy Spirit to resurrect him, the same that the Holy Spirit will do for us. The Holy Spirit prepares a resurrection for each of us. So Jesus didn't heal, um, say the things he did, do miracles, and none of that in his own power, in his own godness. Otherwise, how could we follow him? We'd be like, well, it's all very well for you, Jesus, but uh, I'm just a human and you're God. But we don't say that, do we? Because we know in Philippians 2, it says that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. He lived as a man filled with the Holy Spirit in order to show us that we can live as men and women just the same way he did, filled with the Holy Spirit. All those things, Jesus says it himself, all those things that he did, we can do too. Maybe even greater. I can't, that's starting to blow my mind. Let's move on. So Romans 11 says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Huge. Let's high five the Holy Spirit. So as I've been thinking about this over the past few weeks, I learned a number. In the Old Testament, in the whole Old Testament, which spans thousands of years, right? There's only around 100 people in that whole time who are said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 70 of them are with Moses. So that means that all the rest of time, in the Old Testament time, there's only like 30-odd people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was present among them as a nation when they were obeying God, and the Holy Spirit left them when they didn't obey God. The present and Spirit was present in the temple, the tabernacle, which is their place to worship like their church, but not within them. So can we just imagine what that would be like? Put our minds into the um, Old Testament Jewish person's mindset for a minute. 
Moses said, I wish every person was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's just dreaming. They wouldn't even be able, that's how we think of heaven. They're like, how would that even ever happen? Joel, his, his prophecy that we hear about so many times where God says, I'm going to, in those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on even children and girls and boys and old men, every person, slave or free, every person will get this Holy Spirit. They'd just be like, wow, that's just kind of this crazy, far off, too good to be true, amazing to be true kind of deal, isn't it? It's how we sort of think about heaven. And yet we live in that time now where any believer, every believer, receives the Holy Spirit. We just ask Jesus and he gives us the Holy Spirit, just fills our lives. And I thought about it, this, this church here, there's probably like 100 people in this church even today who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if we just transported one of those Old Testament Jewish people into this room today, what they would think of us here? There'd be like 100 people right now in this room filled with the Holy Spirit. What can God do with you? What can God do with us? Imagine if they got all 100 people from the whole Old Testament in one spot. They'd just be like, whoa, what's God going to do? It's going to be huge. It's going to be magnificent. Can you imagine how they, how they would see us? They longed for this time in such a, can't even imagine it happening. If someone went to one of those people and said, your daughter, your two-year-old child, your son, is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're thinking Moses, they're thinking Elijah, they're thinking, you know, earth-shattering, world-breaking kind of stuff is going to happen because God himself is going to come into my little child. And that is the same spirit that Jesus said dwells in us. And do is the operative word. They'd say, what's God going to do? Because the Holy Spirit has just come. He comes to comfort us and to help us. He, he comes to heal us and teach us how to pray. But he doesn't just come for us to have a good time. He comes to reach the world. Because the Holy Spirit is God, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change. And so we can look in the scripture and see what was the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament because he's doing the same thing now. His plan has always been the same. Who knows who the first person in the Bible is uh, to be said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Does anyone know? Or make a wild guess? I know, it's tricky. I had to look it up myself. <laughs> it's this dude called Bezalel. Oh, Bezalel. Now I remember. <laughs> Didn't need to tell you. Bezalel. Bezalel, son of Uri, son of her or something. He is, uh, God says, I filled Bezalel, son of Uri, with my Holy Spirit. Why? What does Bezalel do? He cuts gems skillfully. He's a craftsman. So he can cut wood, so he can cut the gold and silver and cut the gemstones skillfully. The Holy Spirit is fully filling him up because his role, Bezalel's role, was to build the tabernacle. And so throughout the old scriptures, we see craftsmen are filled with the Holy Spirit, prophets and kings leaders are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, the, God's Holy Spirit is doing the same thing that he was back then. His two reasons to be in people's lives were to point people to God, to point the nation to God, and to build the temple. And his will is the same now, that he always points people to Jesus and to build the church. The church is his idea, the body of Christ. And so 
you know, you might have heard people say, you can be a Christian without coming to church, or why all the focus on the church? We don't really have to be talking about the church all the time. It's all about getting out there to people. But that is not the refrain of the Holy Spirit. If there's something that's taking you away from reading your Bible, that's not the Holy Spirit's voice. If there's something that keeps you away from gathering together as the body of Christ, that's not the Holy Spirit's voice. If there's something that pulls you apart in relationship from people in the church, that's not the Holy Spirit's voice. Because his voice is always the same, causing people to be looking to God, to know God, and to enfold every person into the body of Christ. That's the, that's the reason the Holy Spirit is in our world. There's two ways to know if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and this is out of the scripture. So number one is that it aligns with the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He got people to write it down, but he inspired them. We say he superintended. He, he superintended the Bible to be written. He inspired those people to write uh, so that they could see spiritual truths out of just the ordinary, everyday things happening in their lives. He's not going to contradict himself, so he's not telling me one thing if it's the opposite to what he said in the, in the scriptures. So if it's the Holy Spirit, it will line up with the Bible. And secondly, that mature Christians also believe that it is the Holy Spirit speaking. So through the book of Acts, we see this over and over again. There's no person who goes, no, no, the Holy Spirit's told me this, and they just go off on their own tangent in opposition to the rest of the church. That's not how, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He brings unity to the body of Christ. He doesn't want an arm taking off on its own. He's trying to make one unified body of Christ, to be one as Jesus and the Father are one and under the headship of Jesus. And so there's no one in the book of Acts taking off on, under their own steam and going, no, this is the Holy Spirit, when everyone else is going, I don't really think it is, mate. Even Paul, who sounds like he does that, he went to Jerusalem, he presented the gospel, he submitted it to, the, to Peter and the other leaders, and he said, is this right, before he actually began to go off and plant churches. Uh, we, we submit our, this is the sense of what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, to other uh, mature Christians, fruitful Christians who have the Holy Spirit in our lives, in their lives, and, uh, and we make it aligned to the Word of God. And if it doesn't, and we see that in the book of Acts as well, sometimes there's a bit of tension there, then they prayed and they talked and they spent time together until they found that unity. There isn't a case in the, where, where one's just splitting the church to go off and make a new church. Uh, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking. How's that? Why don't we just close our eyes just for a quick moment and uh, just ask the Holy Spirit now to speak in your life. So I'm, I'm hearing these words, Lord, about the theology of the Holy Spirit. We're seeing you in the Old Testament. We're seeing you in the book of Acts. Just, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak into our lives. I ask you to speak as we read the scriptures today and tomorrow and this week that we can hear you speaking through it. You're the one who inspired it. You're, you make the word of God alive. Make it alive as we read the word this week that we encounter you, Holy Spirit. You teach us, guide us into that truth. So sometimes we can have, uh, you can open your eyes, sometimes we can have this idea that the Holy Spirit's kind of like a polite waiter who comes up to us, can help you, is there anything that you need? And we can be like, no, 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 thank you, no, no, everything's fine, I'm all, I'm all right now, off you go. 
And although that is sometimes how we can treat the gentle prompting of the Holy Spirit, that's not who the Holy Spirit is. He's the glory of God. He's the power of God. Like light that, uh, you know, shoots through the universe, it never gets tired, it never decays, it never slows down. God is unlimited, undiminishing power. Um, and we see this in the book of Acts. Think about that first chapter two, is it, where the, where the Holy Spirit first came upon those apostles? They said it was like a violent wind. It was loud, it was wild, they were shaken. Everything about them was shaken. They said it looked like fire was on people's heads. Their faces were aglow, there's this crazy light all around them. And they were changed, not just to have a great um, you know, praise session in, the, in that room, but to go out and do the same thing that the Holy Spirit always wants to do, to point people to Jesus and to build the church. He took these scared, confused fishermen and he makes them bold and they walk out the door and Peter preaches and thousands of people are joined to the church. And we think, oh, the church, it's this kind of 2,000-year-old institution. We're familiar with it. We're over-familiar with it. But just think on it. On that day, there was no church. There was no institution, anything like a church. There still isn't today. There's nothing like it. It's totally radical that we can gather together under one name, Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter what day it is, no matter where we are, we can be on a Sunday, we can be on a Wednesday, we gather together under his name. We could have the king or the queen here and some people who are completely homeless and we're all equal in this place. And, and slave and free, they all gather together and they're all equal. There's no human institution like that and there wasn't then. You read the book of the Acts, sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but some people call it the gospel of the Holy Spirit. You see them just kind of hoon out like wildfire. I think, I wonder if when he, it's in Genesis, it says he hovered over the waters at creation, separating the light and the dark. I wonder if when he hovered over the waters at creation, he was thinking of that time. I can't wait until I can just shoot out and, and put my spirit into all people and build the church and just go into every country, every heart. Sometimes I think that is why the earth is round. Because the Holy Spirit just couldn't handle it if, half the, if all of the world were asleep at the same time. He just wants to interact with us. He just wants to be speaking to someone. He just can't deal with everyone asleep at the same time. Someone's got to be up. He just wants to be with us, his passion to move in us, to interact with us, to be sharing about Jesus with us at all times. He's just this hugely energetic, uh, all-loving God. And we see that in the book of Acts. It's so exciting. We sometimes might think of the church as old and clunky and slow. It's an old lady smelling a mothball sitting in the corner who doesn't get with the times and, and burden of man-made traditions and stuff. And maybe sometimes there's elements of that. But the church is the Holy Spirit's design. The church is the Holy Spirit's idea. And the church is being built by the Holy Spirit. And in, uh, amazingly, Ephesians 3.10, it says it's God's purpose to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So not only that he uses the church as a body of Christ on earth, as actual Jesus on earth, but somehow to prove to the spiritual realm God's greatness and glory as well. 
Ephesians 3.10, go home and look on that. So don't be hating on the church. Don't be like, my church is boring or, or oh, the church has let me down and all this kind of thing. Get on board with the Holy Spirit. Align yourself with the Holy Spirit to build the church. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, to enfold people into the community of God. So he's at work in the world, not just in these walls. He's causing justice to occur. He's, you know, the scripture says he's causing um, hearts of stone to be turned to hearts of flesh. He's bringing spirits back to life. He's, he's giving forgiveness and hope to people. But he uses the church as his vehicle, as his instrument, as his tool to do that. Because that's the body of Christ in the flesh on earth and doing something in the spiritual world as well. It's amazing. If you're not feeling excited about the church, can I just encourage you to read the book of Acts again? Just keep reading and reading and reading. Don't read one verse, just read and read and read and look for the Holy Spirit there and, and see, see what it's like because the Holy Spirit didn't get tired after Pentecost. He didn't slow down and go, okay, I just kicked out the church and then <sighs> just going to take a breather for two millennia or something. He didn't get tired. He's still going. And his passion and energy for each of the lost today is exactly the same as on that day with Peter. So I'll just get the musicians up, please. Those first, uh, you know, first 12 disciples, those first apostles, or however many there were, they just couldn't have imagined, could they? Couldn't even imagine. It would have just been like the craziest dream they could ever have to imagine what the church is going to be like now, or even that next day. So they went from sort of 12 or a bunch of people to thousands to millions, to billions, throughout centuries. And all they did was just offer themselves, surrender themselves. Holy Spirit, use me in your work to do your will. And let me just encourage you that the same thing can happen to us and already is happening to us, that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we just offer ourselves. Holy Spirit, use me for your will. Let me share your word of Jesus with the world and let me build your church. And, and we won't even be able to imagine, maybe this side of heaven, the impact that God can have through us. Even in this church, just over the past few years, we've given tens and tens of thousands of dollars, maybe near $100,000 to people in Port Lincoln in need, just in practical need. Um, you know, we give money to our missionaries, tens of thousands just in the last few years. Uh, and they, they do things from going to schools, teaching children um, how to read and write to going into brothels and saving people out and saving people from being trafficked and feeding people and giving medical attention to people in the slums. And we're all part of that. Just our tithes that we give and our time that we give and the love that we give to this church, we're all part of that much greater than if we were just one person trying to do one thing. Think of even Sunday nights, how many hundreds or thousands of thousands of free meals have we given people? This place is uh, not just a building, it's a place where people can come uh, and, and hear hope, maybe for the first time, maybe for the only time in their whole lives. The church gives thousands through each one of us of countless hours to support marriages, to support families, to build up children, to bring relationships back together, to heal, to offer a voice of hope. So we're not just people who get together to sing a few songs 
no matter how pretty they are. We are literally people who just over the past two weeks have provided beds for children to sleep on in Port Lincoln when they didn't have beds. We're literally people who are giving words of hope to people who are hopeless, who are giving words of forgiveness to people whose lives are completely weighed down by guilt and freedom to those who are completely wrapped up in in bondage. That's who the church is. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to open our eyes to. We're not just individuals. He's saying, I'm gathering you together to do His work. So I'm going to get you to stand. Come on, let's just quickly stand. We're going to sing in a moment. So stand if you can. Feel free to sit if you need to. Um, If you are a believer and you've never received the Holy Spirit, then I'd love to pray with you today. So when we sing the song in a moment, I'd love you to get just come down to the front and I'll just pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit. And that may have happened, you know. Paul met some people and they said we're Christians and he said, oh, um, is it Acts chapter 19? And they said, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. So he prayed and they received the Holy Spirit. So if you've never been prayed for with the Holy Spirit, then come on down the front and I'll pray with you this morning. But I think the majority of people, probably you think you already have the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do today is just sing and pray for a fresh outpouring, a greater outpouring. And not just for ourselves, but for every person in this church, for the people beside us. You know, Pastor Mike Smith came last week, week before. And he spoke about evangelism. It's not to do with bringing people to be good or nice. It's bringing the dead to life. And sometimes with evangelism, we think we have to pray, almost beg the Holy Spirit, please, please help me, Holy Spirit, to speak to this person. They really need to know Jesus as if the Holy Spirit doesn't know or doesn't care about them or that isn't His will anyway. We've got it back to front. It's the Holy Spirit who's begging us, just open your mouth and I'll do the rest. Just sow that little tiny seed with the tiny faith you have and I'll do the rest. The Holy Spirit's prepared a resurrection for them. He's prepared an eternal life for them. Imagine if we had all the money in the world and we built houses and we're going to the homeless people, come and build, come and live in this house, this mansion I've prepared for you. That's the Holy Spirit in us. He's saying, they're walking around like they're homeless and I've made a home for them. They're walking around like they're orphaned, but I'm their loving father and mother and everything that they need. They're walking around like they're broken and lost. It's the Holy Spirit's constant refrain, the lost must be found. The broken must be healed. The gospel must be proclaimed. That's his call to us. We don't need to beg him to help us to evangelize. We just need to open our mouth and let his spirit rise up within us. That's what we're going to do right now as we sing. We're going to pray as you sing for a new passion of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would fill us anew, rise up that passion within us, and we'd be able to speak out his gospel, enfold people into the church, see lives change, that we're sick of seeing no lives change, that we're sick of just seeing broken people and hopeless people. It's time to let the Holy Spirit free in our church and in our lives and our mouths. Not for ourselves, for our whole church. To join in as we sing this for each other. Calling the Holy Spirit to rise up that passion in us.
Everything you are. 